everyone, welcome back to Left Page. I am Frank, your always online historian, writer, podcaster, researcher, extraordinaire. All those things at the same time. Ah! <laughs> so, welcome back. I Today I am doing a solo episode again, because these are very useful from both an editing, research and organization point of view. Because, well, next semester year and so and for some time i'm gonna be doing my ma uh which i got in really cool on sci-fi and ursula killer queen's dispossessed from a historical perspective and i will talk a bit about that or at least that method or that particular view that i'm taking as i go on today's episode because there's a reason for it and i organize it as such so i hope that works <laughs> we'll see and I'm going to talk about a really interesting novel, I think, as I am accompanied by uh, Hexity in the background, because it's really fun. It's I really enjoy it. I find it quite soothing. So I think, especially because, you know, it's, it's toned down because of the audio, but it's, you know, it's good to have a little thing in the background, just, you know, soothing in, keeping us company, and, you know... It, it makes it easier in the edit <laughs> because there's always a lot of work. But in any case, I am going to be talking about an actually 1958 novel, uh, which was actually published posthumously, called The Leopard, or uh, in Italian, because it's an Italian novel, Il Gattopardo by Giuseppe Tomasi di Lampedusa. And it's an incredibly interesting novel. It's I'm going to talk a lot about it, uh, at least about the story and what it's talking about, but it is singularly famous for a very particular quote, and it's absolutely right. And there's going to be some aspect about, like, the Lampedusa himself, and a bit of how, especially from my point of view, how to understand the historical and the fictional, and these things aren't immediate reflections even in this case, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So what is this story or this novel about? It's about, in general, the Italian unification and how it is. it was an, a very violent process, but we don't see that much of it in person. What we see is the political rearrangement of the aristocratic elite into well, a new form, allying itself and uh, evolving, so to speak. From that idea, that notion, and a lot of the times historical phenomena, I mean, that varies from place to place, but aristocracies at one point changed, allied themselves with the bourgeoisie. That doesn't always happen. That was there was a certain Marxist paradigm for a long time, but that isn't the case always. For a lot of the time, the bourgeoisie uh, wanted to become aristocratic, wanted to be nobles. That is the current like interpretive analysis, and that's where we stand in, a lot in, in how those rearrangements occurred. But there were also opportunities and situations where the aristocracy, and even later on, did ally itself with the bourgeoisie, did sort of shift its power, shift its focus, and, well, this is a bit about what we see in the novel, and that quote, 
which is said by one of the main characters, is in order for everything to remain the same, everything needs to change. So what that means is in order for the aristocracy to remain in power, for the elites to remain, in order for Italy to become unified, for these things to change as things were already changing were in the late 19th century, early 20th century, everything needs to change. So in order for the elite to remain as it is, it needs to accept these changes, these conditions, these transformations with the bourgeoisie. And that is the the process that happens in the entire book. And I'll talk a bit about Lampedusa in a second, but I, I, I mean, first, that as a story is incredibly interesting. And, well, how, how it relates to a certain historical experience of Italy. Because... What we see and what we follow in the large majority of the story, we follow Prince Fabrizio di Salina, which is the actual fictional house which has the leopard as its sort of shield. And what we see by following this particular character, this aristocratic, like, prince, noble, and landowner, and serf owner, and all the things, we see how well he's not particularly nice guy and we see you know the arrangements of power and all those things and you know nobilities they they are as they are pretty much most of the time but what we see as a lot of the times and what we're portrayed as a necessary downfall was like oh this is ending it's the end of an era it's the end of a certain world and in many ways it is it is sort of this this sunset of a, a, an aristocracy it is a lot of the time, it's reinvention, it's recreation, it's refoundation under new alliances, under these alliances and unifications with the bourgeoisie. So it's it's this wedding between them, and in this case, it's a literal wedding, and a lot of the times they were actual weddings because they were families. It's a continuity of sorts, and that's why the, the quote is so interesting, because in this... In order to keep everything as it is, it is necessary for everything to change. And I mean, that is... <laughs> that speaks true to a lot of how capitalism has, even in like the 20s and 21st century, changing and alternating a lot of its statuses in relations to, you know, empire and how this... how production and how exploitation functions... In, in lieu of technological innovations, in order to keep everything exactly the same, or effectively or virtually the same, all the arguments, all the discourses, all the notions of, well, automation and knowledge and, and all that, it's, well, has anything concretely changed in terms of exploitation, in terms of labor and work? Um, not really. So... I mean, it, it, it brings back certain the questions of we cannot be saved by technology because these systems and the people invested and interested in keeping these systems functioning will do everything to make them continue running, to keep them afloat. And the leopard tells a particular story of that. It's fictional, but not really, because that's kind of what happened. And... That's where the the historical kind of comes in. And I'm going to be very careful here because to talk a bit about Lampedusa's personal life and, and history, his family, the Lampedusas, did that. They effectively 
and this was not his particular story, but of his great-grandfather or his grandfather, if I'm not mistaken, that went through a similar process of, like, marrying his children to a rising bourgeoisie and then prolonging this nobility or this power in a particular way in order of maintaining a certain, inverted commas, stability, or whatever the hell that means. So it is a sort of downfall, but it is a... a continuity of sorts, even if changing, and things remain the same in terms of power and economic power and political power and a lot of that. It is intriguing, though, how even with, through all that process, what we are shown in the story is that for their personal lives, these aristocrats, even these nouveau riche, are incredibly miserable. <laughs> For most of their lives, save for like, even the, so the, I mean, you're pushing the term a bit too far, but hero character, which is Tancredi, or Tancredi, he's happy before he's married, when he's engaged, but we're told by the narrator that after they're married, they're never happy again, that the marriage is pretty eh, uh, that they're never particularly happy, and it's all very eh. So, you know, it's, um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, that's an intriguing part about how, like, yes, there's this sort of descent, the yes, there's this, uh, recreation, yes, there is this advancement, but is it really worth it for any of them? Maybe not, maybe it's all for not. Who would have thought? <laughs> I mean, we would, obviously, but then again. This was um, this was an interesting conclusion I got when I was rethinking the book and the story. How like, yes, there's these noble goals. Yes, there's these ideas about the maintaining, uh, the maintenance and the continuity of this power and this power structure. And they all get fucked by it <laughs> on a personal level most of the time. So, I don't know. It's, um, I wonder, I wonder what good ideas we can take from it. But anyway, I was teasing a lot about the idea of his personal life and how how there are quite a lot of similarities between the story that we're told and an actual history of his family even doing this similar thing of changing and creating a, a, another continuity, so to speak. So... There's that and his own experience as the late aristocrat and telling this fictional version of the story of his great-grandfather or his grandfather, whichever one it is. But the the crucial thing is that it's a fictional recreation. or it, Well, it is entirely fictional, that's simple. But regardless of the historical elements, the historical setting, or even the characters, it is a piece of art. It is a novel. So it's not trying to be something else it is at the very least embracing this aspect and in that there are similar conditions to his personal life and to experiences and to real people he knew and that were part of his family but that's kind of the key it's not a reflection it's not exactly how things happened or even how he experienced them or his family did it is, the key about understanding the, especially these works that are historically set, is that they are a reinvention or a recreation of an actual historical experience into something else. 
and that requires a very particular analysis. You can't place the historical simply into the novel. You need to bring it outwards. That's why you need to work from the inside out. And it is what we, and I say we because it's not just me, me and the other academics, friends, researchers on this, this group of uh, history and fiction do, pretty much. We work through fiction, giving it the attention and the care that it deserves. And this is something that I've been saying a lot recently because it's well it's important to me and it is a part of how i engage with this with these various materials they are incredibly complicated objects in themselves so you can't simply apply something from the outside in you need to take the care to to read to understand to interpret so when, when i read that story it was really interesting how i saw there was almost like a criticism of how these this experience doesn't really pay how in their personal lives it was pretty much all for naught and there is some mention of like oh for Italy, for Italia for these lofty girls which are ultimately just sort of aristocratic conquest and the maintenance of their power and their status as an elite but we're also led to be sympathetic with pretty much all of them and their plight but you know, they're not, they're not really great. They're, they're either like, you know, bankers and rich men and rich bus businessmen or, you know, nobility, aristocrats who are, well, in principle, not great either, you know? So we, what I'm trying to bring is, is that the, the focus on the novel is important as also a distancing from the real because it is this recreation of a lived history and kinder even because it's, it's a sort of repurposing of that story of those ideas into something else. In this case, when we're seeing this aristocrat and we're seeing this family, we're seeing these extremely detailed accounts of their lives as, you know, because it's like the, the time frame in the story. We begin in 1860 and the final part is in 1910. So these 50 years that account for two two and a half, well, two, about two or three generations, maybe more, depending on how do we draw the line into the various characters. What we're seeing and what we're being told a lot of the time is that, oh, it's necessary to do this renewal, this recreation, this reinvention of who they are and what they're trying to do. On the other hand, what we're being shown is that it doesn't pay off. That these goals, these ideas... Well, they, I won't say they backfire, because they work exactly how they're intended to. In a sense, that is their own demise. The edition I have of the book, which is very beautiful, because it's uh, hardbound, uh, or hardcover, and it's got some extra text and appendixes, and a lot of them, like the creation of the text, because it was published posthumously, along with a lot of biographical information. But there's very little interpretive work on... How, well, the, the story, its elements, its critiques, what are they, if they are there, on what, there isn't that type of analysis. And I, I admittedly, I could have gone after that, but I was really considering about that, and in a sense, what I'm trying to do 
very minimally and minutely here because uh, you know this is there's a lot book here and I you you don't want to listen to me talking about it that long and it's not going to be that good because it's way out of my field. I mean I work with you know uh, sci-fi and fantasy, sci-fi pretty much, and I'm more interested in you know metaphorical symbolic elements than you know like just like historical fiction. Nothing against it, of course. It's just not my cup of tea in order to do deep, hard-dive analysis. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of weird fiction and speculative fiction. It's pretty cool. Anyway, what was my point again? Uh, I joke, I joke. My point, a lot of the time with this, is that this particular story is interesting in how it shows this downfall of the aristocracy that at times were, were shown to become sympathetic to them and that's very skillfully done we shouldn't they're, they're pretty much none of them very great like i mean some of the children aren't you know guilty or whatever they, they're just there just just living through it and continuously but you know the the main character the prince tancredi aren't great one is pretty bad aristocrat and you know which is kind of <laughs> repeating myself but you know and the other one is basically a political schemer and manipulator who well gets everything he wanted did it pay off i don't know the novel sends a negative message i think on that because at the end of the day by the time this novel was written and published italy was unified it was a concrete thing and the story we are seeing and reading it's a part of this of this process and I do wonder because I'm not Italian how this was reflected and understood at the time as you know this this part of the narrative because the novel was extremely successful you did you do have the movie which I didn't get a chance to watch by Lucino Visconti and it's it's apparently quite good and based on this particular story but I do wonder how that functioned and how that was received it's like as this criticism, as this sort of testament to a dying age and a dying class, which didn't really die. Uh, I mean, although they are no longer, at least in Italy, aristocrats in that exact way, the elite is still the elite. They're still an elite. So, you know, fundamentally, there wasn't a huge change. But it is an interesting story on how how that process took place or how that process took place in a very particular space. And there are a lot of the reflections on Sicily and a lot of them are self-deprecating and, you know, I'm not, I'm not Italian, I'm not Sicilian, so I can't speak to any of that. But it's... There's a familiarity to the sense that um, we call it in Brazil a stray dog complex that you self-deprecate to an extent that you, well... We don't believe we can do anything. We're pretty much we we we, don't, we understand that like we're shit. We're done. We're nothing, and we're never gonna be nothing. And yeah, uh, you know, we're, we're the stray dog perpetually. And that's a similar view as uh, uh, some of the characters portrayed in, in in relation to Sicily, as this sort of backwards island. And I wonder a lot of the time how that is a very specific view of a very specific project that didn't necessarily take off. And, you know, 
political and economic oppression, you know, uh, <laughs> just casually there, but not the focus is just like, oh no, but they are irrational, they are deeply religious, or they're just, eh. So, yeah, some, some questions about that too. All in all, though, it's it's an interesting story from a few different angles, uh, both on this interpretive dimension of, like, who these people are, how their political and personal lives intertwine and connect, and, like, they suffer for all of it, pretty much. And on the other, it's, it's fascinating to consider this political shift to what ends with these internal dimensions of the elite perpetuating itself in new ways. So it's it's an interesting novel. It's not it's a bit rough at times, but I thought it was quite fun too. I, I had a good time reading and interpreting it as best I could. It's way far off my field, both in terms of political history or even, you know, a, a particular literature. What I know of Italian literature so far, it's still somewhat narrow, but, you know, we we try to, (laughs) bit by bit, everywhere we try to make our advancements, you know, Um, it's pretty key. But it was a very interesting and fun read. There's a sort of, (laughs) it's quite frustrating still, because you see these, they're aristocrats, They're, they're perpetuating their power, they're scheming, they're planning. And they're fighting and they're warring. And, you know, there were... Uh, the the Italian process of independence was extremely varied. Because there was the idea of a republic, which before became... But before it got to that, it was like... There was the projects for monarchies, and that succeeded for a time. It's an incredibly difficult process, which I've never properly studied as I should have. And this is, I mean, <laughs> an opportunity to do so. And I, I might. But it shows a particular side of it. Again, we, we don't see the violence. And that's incredibly interesting. It's more the story of an aristocracy than it is the story of the unification than it is of this process, even though the process is key to everything that's going on. Because the process is the symbol of this modernization. And, you know, whatever this modernization might mean, that is sort of the downfall of this class as it is. And that's why it needs to change. And it does. It does perpetuate itself. And it does survive. And, you know, political and economical conditions didn't change. I feel like that is one of the key aspects. Because it's fun seeing the collapse of the aristocracy. Of course it is. But it is very frustrating and kind of painful to see that, like, well, they didn't really. They remained. They perpetuated themselves. They may not be the leopard anymore, so as it was. But they're still there. The p- power changes hands or it continues in reinventing and recreating itself. Like it's not it's not something that happened. They don't go away quietly. And even when they do, it's it's more concerning when they do because they're not really doing that. They're making new alliances, they're making new organizations of their role. And that's what's what we see in the story, and that's what's actually happening. It's a fun read. It's it's an interesting story in terms of seeing this experience and seeing and again, like one of the points that I was mentioning before on this relationship between the historical and the fictional. There's a lot to work on here. 
Um, I lack the, the basses and the background to go too much into it uh, because that takes a lot of time. And, you know, doing the podcast, scheduling other interviews, doing other readings, preparing other content, and the MA happening, and all my other stuff, like writing fiction, it uh, takes some time and I couldn't get into it, unfortunately. But I, I believe that this conversation or this kickoff point is also important because what we see with this is that there is uh, a malleability. The lines between the historical and the fiction are very tenuous here. They're very vague, but they're there. And, and that's the key to understanding to understanding this work in time is that this is fiction and this is a sort of tragic but also romanticized version of what it means for this aristocracy uh, to change itself. Because Lampedusa was sort of this last dying aristocrat when it was starting to make to lose sense, but it was crucial in a particular point when um, this nobility, almost without power but without with land and certain resources, transferred or changed its hands into this bourgeoisie, which was rising or somewhat well established, as per the conditions of Italy. So, what we're seeing is that this story. How is it interpreting and recreating those events? Because we are following, most of the time, the mind of Don Fabrizio, which is the Prince of Salina. And he is this sort of, you know, I won't say tyrant, but like he is this lord of the house. He is this, you know, he has this mistress. He's not particularly nice to his wife. He is a political schemer, even if he doesn't want to get involved in like a senate he is a prince and an aristocrat above all he's a noble not a politician um he's pretty schemeful but we are constantly and a lot of the time told to sympathize with him with his struggles for his children for tancredi and hmm interesting isn't it and at on the other hand, what we see in ultimately in his personal life and in those around them is that it is a downfall, that it is a sort of tragic, that there is a sort of pain, even for the ones that were successful. So, you know, some some things to think about, I guess. I think we're, even if we want to take the novel at face value, which regardless of Lampedusa's positions and his life, we shouldn't, and it, because it's a work of fiction, we can take it even more critically. Because, you know, uh, when we write fiction, sometimes sometimes authors tell more than they, they, than they intend to. And sometimes they tell something different from what they actually politically think. Because, you know, art and fiction has ways of doing that. And interpretation allows us to question their own views with their own work. It's pretty fucking brilliant. Um, it's very cool. It's very cool. What can I say? It, it's part of the work. <laughs> That's why you can't just simply apply the historical or the time or the author into the work. You need to do this inside-out work. And... Because it's no reflection. The artistic, the creative, the time. I mean, talking about editions, this was published posthumously. So there's quite a lot of argument about the chapters, the ordering, the editions, and, you know, you create a sort of consensus uh, with it. It's like, okay, this is the accepted, this is the definitive version. But is it ultimately, is it really? Well, I don't know. <laughs> uh, 
it's there's no there's not an easy answer at all to this and that's also quite cool <laughs> so I don't know exactly what is I'd have to go after the scholarship and maybe I will at some point on how is this book interpreted how is this book put against its own view or that's what it's arguing for I don't know but how this process of reinvention continues because well the ultimately regardless of their success or not for the house of salina or the house of lampedusa if we want everything to remain as it is it isn't necessary for everything to change well things remained as they were and things absolutely changed so at the very least lampedusa was pretty on point and noticing that very key point and recreating it or reinventing it in a fictional sense so, some interesting questions there. I mean, this is not an, <laughs> barely barely scratching the surface on all that happens. There's a lot of the question of, like, the role of women, you know, the social relationships, you know, it's an aristocracy. So, you know, there's, uh, you know, giving the hand away in marriage. Oh, but they're in love. Great. Mm, yes. Interesting. You know, there's, uh, there's a lot to be said about that. A lot to be said about those questions, about those relationships and... Because ultimately, while there's the political basis and the grounding, and I think that is how one interprets the story, the what we see most of the time are the interpersonal relationships, are how the characters interact with another and engage. And I didn't even go into the religious aspect and dimension of it all. But in order to not have this be too long and, you know, have uh, <laughs> me not just rambling without any sense, rhyme or reason, I'm going to be cutting it about here. And I hope there was something useful that we could take understanding the dynamics and changes and shifts of power. Via this novel and its... I can't find an easy answer to, to its portrayal and its creation. But questions to think about at the very least. But yeah, um, thank you so much for listening everyone. You can find me on Twitter at LeftPagePod and at FrankGothic. I am working tirelessly on all my different projects which include writing uh, reading the thesis and the podcast so there will be a reading corner and there will be a writer's desk which i already have plans for what they both will be for this month which is going to be very cool so keep an eye out for those i'm probably going to make the reading corner open because i have a very good idea of what i want to do and i think that makes sense for that to be open because it's going to be something even weirder and more different than usual so keep an eye out for that and the writer's desk which will be the five dollar tier i'm gonna make on well a very particular angle of political and fictional writing but more on that later also i sh i want to announce and I i've shared it widely on my personal Twitter and on the left page Twitter that I am also doing some voice acting work and it actually the podcast has launched this week it is called Echo Box and it is about this recreation or this retelling of Greek myths as they are you know the, the Los Angeles music industry in the present day so that's incredibly fun and interesting and you can find that on EchoBoxPod on Twitter and EchoBoxPod.net as a website. And um, the the show actually debuted on Monday, so do check it out. It's it's really fun. I am excited. I'm gonna show up 
soon or later still in the season but keep an eye out for that i'll share it widely when it happens too but yeah i think that's it from me yeah thank you for listening everyone and i hope you enjoyed i hope you have a, a good couple of weeks and yeah i i have some cool interesting stuff planned uh, especially in terms of sci-fi because well, well i'm working on that so i'm gonna bring in some more of that and some really cool people and really cool guests lined up soon so yeah be be on the lookout for that thank you so much for listening everyone and till the next one